So my name is Callie Davis. If I haven't met you, me and my husband have the awesome privilege of pastoring this beautiful church, um, and we are so glad that you are here today, that you took your Sunday to be with us, to be with this community and with this family. Um, the other day I was sitting in my house, and I was doing what probably a lot of you do or have done, and I was just really beating myself up. Like, of all the things I have not done, why can't I get it together? Like, why don't I just lose the weight? Like, why can't I be more disciplined? Why can't I just do what needs to be done? And I was just going on and on with myself about, Callie, why can't you get it together? And this moment just came over me, and it was only like the grace of God. It's just one of those moments where he just, like, highlights and illuminates, like, something to you. And this ability to see my own weakness just came over me of, oh, I can't. I can't muster up the willpower to be what I need to be. I can't muster up the, like, a discipline to get it done. And this illumination just came of how weak I really am, of how outside of him, outside of his power, outside of his grace, I am so weak. And the Lord just began to talk to me about Callie. And this is such a little issue. Why can't you lose the weight? When do you eat? And this is kind of funny, but then I had to go into the depths of things, right? Well, God, I'm so weak. Well, when do you eat? Well, I eat when I'm lonely. Well, God, why are you, or God, then, well, why are you lonely? Because I miss my friends. I haven't been in community. And then God's like, okay. So why don't you, why aren't you in community, right? And God began to dive to the roots and the depths of issues. Something that was about something so external, right? And God's like, no, 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 we're not going to talk about food. We're not going to talk about your lack of self-discipline. We're going to talk about the root of the issue. But it wasn't until I basically surrendered the white flag, like, God, I can't do it. <laughs> Surrender. I'm weak. I don't have the willpower. I've tried. I was in this cycle of just willpower and failure and beating myself up and willing again and power and discipline and failing and willing myself to be better and failing and the cycle that we get in as people. Why can't I just will myself to get past that addiction? Why can't I just stop it? It's until we wave that surrender flag. God, I'm so weak outside of you. And he takes us, when we do that, into the roots of issues. And this may seem so small, such a silly thing, but what if we did this with everything in our lives? God, take me to the root of that. God, take me to the root of that insecurity. God, take me to the root of why I said what I said. Take me to the root of my lack of love for that person. This is why the phrase, we've all heard it, and when I was younger, I used to love it until I realized it doesn't work. I loved the phrase, fake it till you make it. Let me tell you, fake it till you make it doesn't work out. It's usually like fake it till you burn out, fake it till you quit, <laughs> fake it till you are no more, right? And God's not about this. God's about the root issues. Something from within, deep within, has to be changed. 
It's like we are drinking a filtered stream or a contaminated stream, and we just continue to boil the water over and over again, right? I'm going to boil this water, and I'm going to drink it. I'm going to boil it. I'm going to drink it. I'm going to boil it. I'm going to drink it. And the whole time, there's a dead carcass that's contaminating the stream, and all we have to do is hike up and remove the dead carcass, and we will get pure water. But we love to filter and to boil the water ourselves, right? Let me just get my morality in check. Let me just work on behavior modification. Let me just will it to happen. Let me just get myself disciplined and I will do better. And the whole time there's a dead carcass contaminating the stream. We have to remove the death that's contaminating the stream if we ever want pure life that is offered to us. In Proverbs 4.23, I love it because scripture is clear to the location and the nature of the dead carcass, of the problem. It says this in Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. In the New King James Version, I love it, it says it like this, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring All the issues of life. The issues of life spring from what? Your heart. So wait, God, you're telling me my relationship issues are what? From my heart? My financial issues are a heart issue? My anger, that's a heart issue? My issues at work, that's a heart issue? The issues of life flow from the heart. If you have death or sickness or contaminated water, we have to look at our heart. There's a saying that I love. It says this, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. It's the heart. We see this even when Jesus was walking on the earth with the religious people, the churchgoers, right, who weren't getting it. It says this in Mark 7, One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by the ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. These people so bound are like, well, why are they experiencing this freedom? Like, I'm bound. I want them to be bound. Like, why do they just get to do whatever they want? And they call themselves followers of you. And Jesus replies, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Man, he's saying, sweet, your hands are clean. It's a farce. Your lips are good, your heart's far from me. 
And then he goes on to call him out. And he says, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of a father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among others. He's basically saying, you cherry pick all the time what you want to do. And you're so focused on these people having clean hands. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. And he said, all of you listen and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into the house to get away from the crowd. And his disciples asked and they still weren't getting it. Because you see, these people weren't getting it because before Jesus destroys the temple, they were used to a reality where there was a dividing line in the temple between the unclean and the clean. Because you don't contaminate me. (laughs) Your outward uncleanliness cannot be here with me when I am clean. But Jesus came and destroyed and obliterated that wall through his death and his resurrection. So these people were still confused. And he said, don't you understand either? Can't you see that the food you put in your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart. It only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. (laughs) I love Jesus. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. I mean, he's saying, don't you get it? All this out here, all of this outward religious behavior, All of your tradition, it's here and it's good for the moment, but it passes through. You have missed the whole point. And then he added in verse 20, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. It's what lies within. What lies within you and what lies within me. We're so concerned about clean hands. And we are missing the point. Do we have a clean heart? Where do our problems come from? The heart. Many of us, though, we believe this lie because it's easier to believe this lie that all of my problems are because of what's out there. I'm angry because of what my family did to me. I'm struggling financially because of my job. My issues are because of that, because of the world, because of this generation. It's all out here. That's why I have these issues. 
it's what they did to me, what they offered me. It's my spouse. Those people, that thing, that movie, that culture, it's all that stuff. It's what's happening outside of me, but the problem is in here. It's from our heart that evil comes. It's from within us. If you are angry, it might not be their fault. It comes from your heart. How's your heart? If you are bitter, how's your heart? If you are envious, it's not because other people have stuff. It's your heart. If you have enemies, it's not your enemy's fault. It's your heart. If you are hopeless, your heart. If you have hatred, your heart. If you aren't joyful, your heart. Look, man-made religion will say that it's because of what's happening outside of you. That your biggest problems are out there. And it tricks us to spend a lot of time washing these hands. And spending time building walls to keep, man, that out. And that movie, that's staying out of here. <laughs> Those people, whew, definitely out there, out there. But it's our heart that evil comes. Before Jesus' death, there were walls in the temple. And he said, no more. I'm moving the temple into your heart. From within you will come life or will come death. It's a heart condition. It's what's in you that defiles you, not the sickness of your neighbor, not our political climate, not what's happening in society and not this next generation. It's within you. It's within me. I love it. There's a story in the 1900s. People have been asking the same things. I love it. Scripture says, what? Nothing is new under the sun. And here we have in the 1900s, the New York Times sent out a question for an article, and they sent it to an author asking him to answer this question. And the question was, what's wrong with the world today? And the author replied, dear sir, I am. What's wrong with the world today? I am. My heart. What's coming from within. My own condition. Look, it's much easier to believe that it's, well, what's wrong with the world is out there. <laughs> Have you looked out there lately? But scripture is clear of the nature and location of the problem. From within, our heart flows all things. The problem is with us. But we see this, we know this, because we, this is why we see people going through horrific circumstances. Two people both going through horrific circumstances, and one can be filled with hope and peace and joy in the midst of it. And another, same circumstance, can be filled with bitterness and anger, resentment, same circumstance, different hearts. We know this because we see many older people who have lived a lot of life and through a lot of pain. And some of them 
speak life into this next generation, are full of hope for the future, see God moving and doing big things. And on the other side, we see people that are bitter and angry and think there's nothing good coming from this generation. What's different? Same world. Different heart. It's not a matter of what is out here. It's a matter of the heart. Deal with what's in you, and I promise you it will change what's going on around you. It doesn't make it easier. I'm not saying it goes away, but if you change your posture, you will change your perspective. And many of us will like, well, change that, and then, you know, I'll have a different perspective. No, change your heart, and you will have a different perspective. But often, like the Pharisees, we would rather just follow rules, wash those hands real good, and be cleaned that way. But this is what separated the Pharisees from the disciples, the heart. This is what separated the religious people from the people who walked with Jesus. And still today, this is what separates churchgoers from disciples of Christ. And there is a difference between a churchgoer and a disciple of Christ. The heart. The heart. Look, some of us have really clean hands this morning. And it's doing us no good. It's deeper than that. When a man asked Jesus and he came before him and said, man, I have followed all of your commandments, Jesus. Every single one of them I have followed. What must I do to be your disciple? And Jesus says, okay, I can only think that this man must have been expecting Jesus to say, wow, you have followed all of my commands? Well, come on. And Jesus said, you know what? Go and sell all your possessions to the poor, then come and follow me. And we like to make this verse about money, but you know what was happening here? Jesus was pressing on the heart. Sure, your hands are clean. Good job. You want to be my disciple? Go deal with your heart. And it says the man went away sad. Because what? You're asking for that? I have clean hands. Well, I mean, look at this. They're clean. No, no, no. Go and deal with that bitterness you have towards your parents. No, no. Go and deal with that anger, that loss, that addiction. Come and follow me. Jesus continually pushed up against the heart. Clean hands do not, did not, and will not cut it. Look, if you try the outside-in approach to behavior modification, if you wash all the dishes, you do all the traditions. Look, you go to church on Sundays every single Sunday. You have crosses hanging in your house. You have Bibles on every bookshelf. You have the manger scene in your front lawn. You have followed cultural Christianity. You have checked the boxes, and you do it perfectly. At best, you are a whitewashed tomb. If it's all clean, 
on the outside. Matthew 23 says this in verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You're pretty, but you're dead. This should wake us up, all of us in the room, because if it doesn't wake you up, you might actually be in a worst-case scenario because you're not aware, right? This should alarm us that, wait, it's possible for me to be doing all the right things and still be dead on the inside. That's possible. It's possible to look righteous and pretty and be nothing but uncleanly and dead on the inside. Far from life, far from God. Matthew 23, 25 says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside, full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean. He's like, you've got it wrong, you blind churchgoers. <laughs> clean the inside of the cup, and the outside will become clean. Look, clean hands are great, but you are never going to get a clean heart by cleaning your hands. If you clean your heart, clean hands will follow. When my heart is right, it is not difficult to follow the Lord. When my heart is right towards people, it is not difficult to speak life. When my heart is right, it's not difficult to be joyful. Where is our hearts this morning? Because I do not want myself or our church to be a church of Pharisees where we look so pretty on the outside. We must address our hearts. But if it's in me, it's going to cost me something. If it's a heart issue, it's going to cost something. There's going to have to be some letting go, some pain involved to being changed. Look, the man is said went away sad. <laughs> He was sad because he knew what was now going to be required. He was sad because he now knew the pain he had to walk through. He was sad because removing a dead carcass that you are accustomed to is a lot different than just washing the outside of the tomb. It's an inside job. This past year, many of you know this, but they found large fibroids on my uterus, and so the doctor's first was, we're going to have to do a hysterectomy. Um, that's all we can do. And I'm like, no, I still got life in me. There's still more life to be birthed from me. And he said, okay, well, then we'll have to do a little more of an invasive surgery and a little more tedious surgery, and it could go wrong. But if that's what you're willing to do, we'll do it. But, you know, many of us want the life, but we don't want the surgery. 
I want abundant life, God. I want all you have for me. I want to be able to speak life and hope. I want to have eyes to see when my circumstances are horrible. Man, I want to be a person of faith. But I don't want the surgery. I mean, don't take that out of my heart. I don't want the healing and the recovery process and the pain involved. That takes a long time. I highly underestimated my surgery. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to have surgery and come right back. No, the day after surgery, I couldn't even walk out of my hospital bed. They had to help me go to the bathroom. And I was like, what happened? <laughs> Wait, I thought I was going to be back to myself. It's a process of surgery, of removal of the heart. But if we want abundant life, it takes surgery. It's an inside job. In the scriptures, we see a story of Jacob, and he was the grandson of Abraham. And Jacob had, two, had four wives, I believe, and he had many sons, but his wife Rachel was his favorite wife, the one he was closest with. And it says this, we pick up in verse 16, and Rachel is now giving birth. And it says, Jacob and his family had left Bethel and were still on a long way from Ephrath, where the time came for Rachel's baby to be born. She was having a rough time, but the woman who was helping her said, don't worry, it's a boy. And Rachel was at the point of death, and right before dying, she said, I'll name him Benani. But, God, but Jacob called him Benjamin. And it goes on to say that she was where she was buried, and she died. So here we have Jacob, his closest wife, the one he loved is gone, and he has a son Joseph, and a little baby that had just been born, Benjamin. And we know this story because this ends up being Joseph, the coat of many colors, the one Jacob loved the most, Joseph. It makes sense why I love Joseph so much. Imagine your firstborn son from the wife that you loved, who you don't have anymore. He loved Joseph. And all the other brothers became so jealous of Joseph. So they threw him in a pit and they sold him to Egypt, uh, to slavery in Egypt. Through hardships and circumstances and trials and God's divine favor, Joseph becomes the governor of Egypt. And a famine strikes the land and nobody can eat. And Jacob realizes, like, I have to get food for my family. So he sends all of his sons to go to the palace where he thinks Joseph is dead, and he says, I will send all my sons, but Benjamin, no. Benjamin can't go. I won't risk Benjamin. So he sends all of his other sons to the palace, and it doesn't really work out. Because there's Joseph, and he says, you spies. If you're not really spies, then go back to your dad and bring Benjamin. And they're like, oh, gosh, my dad is not going to let him go. So they go back to their father, and they tell Jacob. And this is what it says in Genesis 42, 35. They were frightened, and so was their father Jacob, who said, you have already taken my sons Joseph and Simeon, who is now being held at the palace until they return with Benjamin. From me. And now you want to take away Benjamin. Everything is against me. 
And Reuben spoke up, Father, if I don't bring Benjamin back, you can kill both of my sons. Trust me with him. I will bring him back to you. And Jacob said, I won't let my son Benjamin go down to Egypt with the rest of you. His brother's already dead. He's the only son I have left. He was the only one left of Rachel. You can't take him. I'm an old man, and if anything happens to him on the way, I'll die from sorrow, and all of you will be to blame. Once again, he's like, you can't go there. Not Benjamin. Not that. Not that place of loss. Not that place of grief. Not that. You can take all this. All of that can go. Not this. Not Benjamin. And the family, or the famine gets so much worse. And they suffer, and they suffer, and they suffer until they run out of food. And Jacob, what? He finally waves the flag and says, I'm going to die. I'm going to lose it all if I don't give up Benjamin. So he agrees to let Benjamin go. He relents. He realizes, I can't do this without letting Benjamin go. And we know the story, right? Benjamin goes with his brothers. He reunites with Joseph, his brother. And not just does Jacob get Benjamin back. He gets Benjamin back. He gets provision for his family. And he gets his son, Joseph, back. The one who he thought was dead, resurrects to life. But he had to let Benjamin go. He had to deal with that thing, that loss and that pain, that loneliness of not having Rachel, that issue of the heart. He had to deal with his Benjamin. Look, he wanted food, but he couldn't get food without dealing with his heart. And many of us, we do this same thing, and we miss the whole point. We're just trying to get food. We're trying to survive. We're trying to get by. We just need food. Just give us food. I'll clean my hands. I will make them clean. Just give me food. And God's saying, give me Benjamin. Give me your heart. Give me your loneliness. Give me your anger. Give me your addiction. Give me that thing. We try to clean our hands, hoping that it will affect our heart, and it does not work. Hear me this morning. While we fight for prayers in school, hoping that if We just get prayer back in school. It'll change the hearts of our students. You Pharisee, the outside's not going to change the inside. You know what we have to do? Spend time with this generation. Pour into their heart. Invest the scripture into their soul. Speak life into them so that when they go into the school, from within flows the spirit. If you want our schools to change, it's a heart issue. 
Oh, but we want all the commandments posted at every place there can be a commandment. We need to put one there because then maybe people will start to obey it. Pharisee. Now, you know how people obey God and have clean hands? Their heart from within. It's a heart issue. Jacob wanted food, but he had to deal with his Benjamin. Look, when we focus on cleaning the outside of the cup, we are missing the point and we are prolonging life. If Satan can just get the church so focused on outward, they're never going to produce life. <laughs> because from the heart flows life. But if we can be a church who knows that it's the heart, then, man, we are unstoppable when the spirit begins to flow from within us. Look, Jesus continually told the Pharisees to stop it. Stop fighting for the cups to be clean. Stop it. You're prolonging life. It's an inside job. The problem is we have a lot of whitewashed tombs. A lot of churchgoers, not us, but the world. Maybe us. <laughs> We have a lot of Christians who are just spending their time fighting for clean cups instead of fighting to be a person who the spirit is alive in them. There's a lot of morality within the church. But do we have a lot of sold out, committed hearts to where, God, you want Benjamin? I'll give you Benjamin. God, you can go there. You can take that thing. You can deal with that issue. What's wrong with this world is within me. And God, you can make me different. Look, Jacob wanted to go get food to meet his immediate physical need. That's so understandable. The outward needs, he wanted that met instead of addressing the famine in his own soul. The longing within the depths of his soul. This is why when I'm talking to Jesus about something so simple as weight loss, he doesn't let me just talk about what I consumed. He says, no, no, no. What's the famine in your soul that's causing you to do that? No, no, we're not just going to address the food. We're going to go deeper into the heart. But I love it because God isn't in the business of band-aids <laughs> he's in the business of surgery and I love this about God man if I would have went to the doctor and said I want to have more kids and it's not possible and he would have said ah oh, let's just slap a band-aid on there it's like my two-year-old who is sobbing and then you put a band-aid on he's like oh I'm fine <laughs> right but no God says okay let's produce life let's do some surgery Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is what? At work within us. 
To him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He can do immeasurably more than we can think or ask or imagine. How? From within us. And many of us are so confused because we're like, well, why aren't my circumstances immeasurably more than I asked, dreamed, or imagined? I don't know about you, but not many of us probably have circumstances that are more than we ever dreamed. From within us, he can do immeasurably more. When Jacob gave up Benjamin, God did immeasurably more. What he thought was dead was not even something he could ask or think or dream of. God gave back to him. God did immeasurably more when Jacob went within and let go of Benjamin. Look, we aren't going to change the world by what's out there. By getting all this stuff taken care of. We're going to change the world by what's from within. What's flowing out of our hearts. Comes all the issues of life. It's a heart issue, and I love it. In Psalms it says this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Teach me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offensive or offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He knew. I have a lot of enemies. I have a lot of things. I have a lot of stuff going on, but God, search me. Is there any offensive way within me? But the good news is, is that our God knows how to do heart surgery when we allow him to. The good news is when we're aware of our sickness, he knows how to remove it carefully so that life comes. Man, the doctor I had for surgery was like a godsend. I love him. He took the time to not just talk to me, but later I found out he went and talked to my doctor and figured out a lot more about me. He did his research to do this surgery, and I found out after the fact he hasn't done very many of these surgeries because not many of this kind have been done. But I knew that he, you know why I had such peace going into it? One, because I trusted God, but because I trusted him. <laughs> like, I knew, like, this doctor has it together, right? This doctor can do this surgery. I trust that he can do it. And that gave me a lot of peace. And I've had doctors that I didn't trust, and there was not a lot of peace. <laughs> but it's the same with the Lord. We can trust him that he knows how to go in to your heart and do the tedious work of surgery to produce life and life abundantly. Ezekiel 36, 25 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. This is in the Old Testament. This is God. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep the laws. Even back in the Old Testament when they were required to keep all of these laws, God was saying, first, if you ever want to obey this, you have to have a heart transplant or you will never be able to obey this. 
Even in the Old Testament, God was saying, first clean your heart, and then your hands will be clean. Let me remove your heart and give you a spirit inside of you. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. God, I will save you from all of your uncleanliness. Let me give you a new heart, and then you will keep my decrees. It starts with the heart. And then Jesus comes on the scene. It's a new day. But still the heart of God is the same. And it says this, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood out and he shouted to the crowds. He's shouting, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and may drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. The spirit had not even been given yet but because Jesus, Jesus had not entered into his glory. So he is saying, rivers of living water, a spirit I am going to pour out is going to flow through your heart. Your heart is where all things will flow. So let it be the spirit flowing. Where is your heart today? Your inner man. For from your heart flows all things. All things. Where's your heart? What do you see coming out of you? Do you see a lot of anger? Or bitterness, resentment for your spouse or your friends or your family? Do you see a lot of selfishness? A lot of criticism of people and the generation and the world? A lot of cynicism? Do you see a lot of gossip and a lot of slander? It's your heart. Where's your heart at today? Do you see coming out of you? The fruit of the Spirit, which we know in Scripture to say the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Man, if we saw a church who got serious about the heart and not about the hands, but about the heart, if we had a church walking around with joy and peace and patience towards people, kindness towards people, gentleness towards our world, self-control, and that would change the world. If our heart is full of the Spirit, we're powerful people. But what flows from your heart today if you're being honest, look, I had to be honest with God about a lot of things that flow through my heart. God, I see this coming out of me. Man, God, why am I so prone to talk about those people who made me so mad and they hurt me, God? They hurt me, so they deserve it, right? No. It's not about them. It's about your heart. Is your heart full of grace and love? Peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. 
Because from that heart, gossip doesn't flow. It's an issue of the heart. So if you're honest today and you're saying, man, I'm realizing there's some polluted waters coming out of my heart. My question is, what are your Benjamins today? What are those Benjamins of your soul that you're like, not that? And it might take some time to really start realizing. If you are in a cycle of willpower and failing and beating yourself up and, God, let me just clean my hands better and why can't I do this and why can't I get the discipline to overcome this and, oh, my gosh, I can't do it. You might be cleaning your hands. (laughs) It takes time to step back and say, okay, God, why do I eat that food? When? When I'm lonely? Okay, God, when am I lonely? And it's interesting because even while I was talking to God, when did I begin to cry with the Lord? When he started pushing up against the heart. Oh, God, we got to talk about my loneliness? Oh, God, we got to talk about that loss in my life that's feeding that addiction. Oh, God, we've got to talk about my anger towards my spouse and what's going on in me, not just how that person sucks. (laughs) Oh, God, we've got to address that Benjamin spot. Jacob had all reasons to cling to Benjamin. He lost his wife, and he lost his son, Joseph. Benjamin was the only thing he had left of Rachel. He was just trying to protect him. Like a good dad would do, right? I got to protect Benjamin. And God said, no, give me Benjamin. And a lot of times we do this in our life, and it makes sense. There's a lot of loss and pain and heartache and grief and hard and difficult things. And in order to protect that place of our heart, we say, no, 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 God, not Benjamin. Not that heart issue. Mm -mm, Not that. And we choose to stay mad and angry and full of hopelessness for this future and the world. And we delay life and we stay sick. But if we'd only let go of Benjamin today, and we say, God, you know what? I'm lonely. We can talk about it. (laughs) You know what, God? I'm really addicted. And I need help figuring out why. You know what, God, when I look at this generation, I don't see hope. Why? You know what, God, I'm angry. I'm really angry. We can go there. God, I miss my spouse who passed away. God, we can go there. I miss my children who have moved away. God, we can go there. Search me and know me. And then it goes on to say, and see if there's anything offensive in me. And David had some offensive stuff in him, if you know David. He wasn't some perfect guy saying, search me and know me. He was saying, search me, God. Because so much better to have a clean heart than clean hands. So much better than be be called a whitewashed tomb by Jesus. So much better to let go of Benjamin than simply survive. God requires more of us today. It's an issue of the heart. Man, I wish it was as simple as going to the bathroom and washing your hands (laughs) and coming out clean, that God could just send us into a car wash and 
we're transformed forever. But it's an issue of the heart. It's a surgery. It's a transformation of our hearts, our soul, our inner man, becoming more and more like Christ. But first we got to wave that flag and say, God, I surrender, Benjamin. I surrender it. I'll talk to you about it. We'll go there. I'll give it up. And not just giving up the outward thing. This is where we often make the mistake. I'll give up that outward thing. You know, I'll start going to church every day. I'll do all the outward things, and I'll give, out the out, and I'll give up the outward thing. God's saying, no, no, no. Your heart. I want your heart. Because we are living in a world that is desperate for disciples of Christ. Not churchgoers. They're done with churchgoers. Quite frankly, I'm done with churchgoers. We are all done with churchgoers. We're done with the churchgoer part within ourselves. I'm done with the Pharisee in me. I'm done with it. I'm sick of it. I want to be a disciple of Christ who has clean hands, but who has a cleaner heart. That I know, like, man, My hands look relatively clean, but I can stand with confidence knowing that, God, you've searched me. I have a clean heart. I'm not a whitewashed tomb. But it takes a little internal processing and thinking to figure out those places in us where our heart is sick, where there are dead carcasses that need to be removed, and we need to stop just boiling the water because boiling the water does not work. Cleaning your hands will not give you a cleaner heart. It won't. It's a lot of wasted effort, a lot of focus into the wrong things. It's basically the enemy totally sidetracking you and prolonging life. It's an issue of the heart. Let's pray this morning.